Well, good morning, church. It's good to be with you guys here in Greece. I want to welcome all of our locations as well as our online viewers. We're glad that you guys are with us. We're going to continue our series in the book of James. So if you have your Bibles, go ahead and turn with me uh, to James chapter 3. If you don't have a Bible, you can use the one in the chair back or the bottom in front of you. Uh, or you could just follow along on the screen. Two quick uh, housekeeping announcements uh, just in regards to Together Day. One is someone asked earlier in the service here in Greece, and maybe the people watching uh, via the stream are asking the same questions, but do we need to bring food? And the answer is no, because the food is free. For, for you, right? Free food. And so bring your appetite and uh, you do not need a dish to pass unless you want to make brownies for the pastor and that's okay too, you know, um, or chocolate chip cookies or anything like that. Uh, the, uh, the other housekeeping item would be um, where, where to park. We're, we are going to have some people as you uh, come into the campus telling you where to go. There will probably be signs available, but the service is in the chapel itself. So for people who have never attended the service before, maybe you're wondering that. It's in the chapel and there will be places to park there. If there's any other questions, see your campus pastor after the service or myself uh, here in Greece. We're going to be in James chapter 3, as I said, and as you turn there, you might have noticed what the subject material is, and that is our mouths, how we use our words. Words are important. Uh, words are difficult. Uh, words can either bring healing, life, good things in people's lives. They can also tear down. Just curious, how many of you have said something stupid in the last uh, month? Wow. Uh, anybody in the last week? How about this morning? Yeah. <laughs> Good, because this sermon will be very relevant and practical for our lives, including myself. And uh, James got so many different things. And, and one of the things I found interesting as we've been reading James, there's a constant theme that we are not just to be hearers of God's word, but we are to be doers of God's word. And in other words, what we learn and what we've been learning in this series it should have a direct correlation on our life because we say we believe. But remember last week we talked about there's a difference between intellectual belief and influential belief. Uh, intellectual belief is what the demons believe. Like the, remember what James said last week? The, the demons believe and they shudder in fear. In other words, they have the right knowledge about God. They have the right truth about God. But that does not make any difference in their life. In other words, it hasn't transferred into how they live. It hasn't influenced their, their faith. And if there's one particular category of our faith journey that, that is really difficult to flush out our faith, it's our mouth. It's the words that we say. It's so difficult to get a grasp on our mouth. But what James is going to warn us of, if we don't get a handle on our mouth, our mouth will get a handle on us and it will not be good. So what I want to do is share with you 12 verses. You know, it's going to be a little bit long. I need you to focus. You read in your Bible or you can follow on the screen because I want to read it in its entirety. And then we're going to, I'm just going to share a couple points with you today and some application. But this way you kind of get the whole chapter in one shot. All right. James chapter 3. Starting at verse 1, here we go. James says, <laughs> I love this verse, Not many of you should become teachers, my brothers, for you know that we who teach will be judged with greater strictness. Yay. Uh, that's not on our refrigerator at home, by the way. But there's some, there's some weight to that, right? And the reason why teachers, preachers, Bible study leaders, but people who handle the word of God are going to be judged with more strictness is because we're speaking. And not only are we speaking, I'm not sharing my opinion up here, I'm sharing the word of God, 
I'm speaking the Bible. And, and how it's preached and how it's received, we were responsible for. And so I, I take this very seriously. You know, I, I pray about these messages. I want you to hear these messages because it's for your benefit. And I don't take this for granted. And uh, that's a very humbling verse. But, but we're all, as we're going to say, we're all going to be judged based on the words that we say. And then he says this in verse 2. For we all stumble in many ways. Isn't that the truth? And if anyone does not stumble in what he says, he's a perfect man, able also to bridle his whole body. Now, what's, what's interesting, that word perfect doesn't mean that we are without sin. That's not how he's using that term perfect. This is the same phrase or same Greek word that he uses in chapter 1 in verse 4. You remember where it says, let the steadfastness of your faith be complete so that you may be perfect and complete, lacking Nothing. James is not saying that there will be a point in your life through, through those trials that you'll become perfect on this side of the grave. What he's saying is you'll be stable in what you believe. And remember how he says that someone who doesn't believe, you know, he believes one minute, doesn't believe the other. It's kind of like a wave tossed to and fro. Remember that imagery that he gives? And he's unstable in all of his ways. So I gave you the illustration of Peter. Peter, when he's, his eyes are on Jesus walking on the water, he's stable. He's above his circumstances. He's stable. And the reason why he's stable is because he's got his eyes on the Lord. But as soon as he takes his eyes off the Lord, he begins to sink. That's the idea here. We want to have a stable, secure faith. And, and it sh it's shown a lot of times in what we say. Not just what we say we believe, but what we actually do in front of other people. And then he says this, verse 3. If we put bits into the mouths of horses so that they obey us, we guide their whole bodies as well. Look at the ships also. Though they are so large and are driven by strong winds, they are guided by a very small rudder wherever the will of the pilot directs. So also the tongue is a small member, yet it boasts of great things. In other words, your tongue, even though it's small, your words, even though you think are significant, can either bring great blessing to someone else or it can do great damage. It's going to lead to some great things. There's no neutral ground when it comes to our words. And we've all experienced that before. So he gives one more illustration. He says, how great a forest is set ablaze by such a small fire. Verse 6. And the tongue is a fire, a world of unrighteousness. The tongue is set among our members, staining the whole body, setting on fire the entire course of life, and set on fire by hell. For every kind of beast and bird, of reptile and sea creature, can be tamed and has been tamed by mankind. Um, if, if you want proof, just YouTube this. You can find all sorts of funny animals that have been tamed by mankind. I can't tame my own dog, but other people can tame fleas and snakes and all kinds of stuff. But I don't know how they do it, but it can be done. But look what James's point is, verse 8. But no human being can tame the tongue. No human being contain the tongue. It is a restless evil full of deadly poison. With it, we bless our Lord and our Father, and with it, we curse people who are made in the likeness of God. From the same mouth come blessing and cursing. My brothers, these things ought not to be so. Does a spring pour forth from the same opening both fresh and salt water? Can a fig tree, my brothers, bear olives, or a grapevine produce figs? Neither can a salt pond yield fresh water. 
This is God's word to us, and it's a reminder that our words are incredibly powerful. Our words are incredibly powerful. You know, this series title is really it's called Faithful. I believe that James wants us to have a faith so full that what we claim to believe up here is actually seen out there. That we don't just have the right beliefs, but our right beliefs determine the right course of action, our right behavior. Again, we're not, we're not supposed to be just hearers of God's word, but we're to be doers as well. So here's the question that I have for us this morning as we contemplate this. Does your knowledge of Jesus impact how you speak to others? Does your knowledge of Jesus impact how you talk and treat other people? Because it should. And when it's done the right way, it can have profound blessings on people's lives. When it's done the wrong way, it can do great damage. There's great power in your words. Isn't that true when you think about your own life story? I mean, my guess is you're here today because someone at some point in your life spoke a word into your life. For me, it was at the end of my ninth grade year when I was 15, 16 years old. My earth science teacher believed in me so much that he was willing to share the gospel, the very words of God with me in a public high school. And it was in that moment that God opened up my heart, the Holy Spirit invaded my life, and I believed. But it happened because someone was willing to speak words. I remember um, when I was about 23, 24 years old, I was a little yipper snapper of a, a little youth pastor, and they gave me an opportunity to preach, and I was horrible at it, just horrible at it. The sermon was bad, but I remember this old gentleman after the service coming up to me after the service, and he looked at me and he said, you're going to be a preacher one day. And I, you know what I did? I laughed. I laughed. Clearly, you didn't listen to that sermon, right? But he believed in me, and his words were a catalyst that I believe God used in my life to prepare me for the calling that God had on my life. That's the power of words that they can have on us. There's probably some people in here today that probably went on a missions trip because someone said a word to you that encouraged you to take a step of faith. Or maybe you changed career paths. You were going down one path, but God called you to do something else, and it was through someone's words that directed you and was a catalyst for you changing career paths. And you, now you feel like you're doing something that God wants you to do. Or maybe he's going to do that in your life through another person's words. Words are powerful, and they can be a tremendous blessing when used in the right way. When used in the right way, the power of our words can encourage. When you're down in the dumps and you're having a rough day, isn't it great to have a friend who sticks closer than a brother that can speak a timely word to you to lift up your spirits, right? Words can empower. They can empower us to do some things that we wouldn't normally think about doing. But because we have people alongside of us cheering us on, encouraging us, spurring us on towards love and good deeds, we do those things because we're empowered. Um, words can strengthen us as well. And words can even convict us. Sometimes I've had friends speak in my life when I'm not doing what I should be doing in the, in the manner in which I should do it, but they speak into it and they convict me, and I need that conviction so that I become more like Jesus. These are how words can be used in an incredible way. They can encourage, they can empower, they can strengthen, they can convict. Words can be used for good. But we all have experienced the reality where words can cut as well, where words can be used for bad. In fact, not only do we see this, but I would say words can scar. And some of you have had many scars left on your heart because of someone's previous words. And it might have been decades ago, but those words still ring in your ears. 
day after day. It's kind of like a, a song that you put on repeat, but not in a good way. It just keeps going over and over and over again until you eventually become enslaved to those very words. I want you to check out Proverbs 18.21. If there's one verse that you might want to memorize, it's this. Proverbs 18.21 says, death and life are in the power of the tongue. Let me interpret. Bad and good are in the power of the tongue. Your tongue has great potential. So let's memorize this together at all of our locations. This is participation time, okay? Everybody participate. Some of you hate this. It'll be over soon. But just everybody say it out loud with conviction. Ready? One, two, three. Death and life are in the power of the tongue. One more time. Death and life are in the power of the tongue. May you, when you walk out of here today from church and you go into your office space or you go back home or you go wherever you go tomorrow morning and Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, Friday, Saturday, may that verse ring in your mind's eye and may it be evident in your life. Before you speak, before you utter a word, you should ask the question, will this bring life or will this bring death to other people? So I have, we read 12 verses. I just got two principles to share and some application uh, at the end. So here's, here's the first point I want to share with you from James chapter 3. Words direct our lives. Our words literally have the power to direct our lives. You say, where, where do you get that? Well, there's three examples, three illustrations that James gives in this chapter. You remember them? Remember what one was a horse? The other was a ship? And then a wildfire. Listen to what he says in James chapter 3, verses 3 through 5. He says, if we put bits into the mouths of horses so that they obey us, we, we guide their whole bodies. And then it says this. Look at the ships also. Though they are so large and are driven by strong winds, they are guided by a very small rudder wherever the will of the pilot directs. And then verse 5. So also the tongue is a small member, yet it boasts of great things. How great a forest is set ablaze by such a small fire. A horse, big or small? Big. Average size horse, 15 to 2,000 pounds, right? Ship, think, think the big ships, right? Big ships. And a wild, have you ever seen one of those wild forest fires like in California? Um, a couple years ago, I flew out to Colorado, which is not California, and you could still see some of the smoke that was a result of California. Uh, I flew into California one time, and smoke was everywhere as we were landing. The, they, they do so much great damage. They're big. And James's point is here is that small things can produce big things. Small things can actually produce big things. So, so check it out. This horse. <laughs> I love this picture. I chose this picture because this reminds me of my dog. You ever see a golden, I got a golden retriever. And you ever see a golden retriever with the stupid eyes and the tongue hanging out the side? That's, that's, this is my dog in a horse form. But look at, what, look at what they do with the horse. They put a bit in the horse's mouth. A bit, if you don't know, is kind of like a two-inch two wide uh, piece of metal and gets pulled with, with rain so that you can determine which direction it goes. And it's only like 16 ounces. So... 16-ounce bit has the ability to control a 1,500-pound animal. Small things can produce big things. Or a ship, ship, massive ship, small rudder. And determine 
based on how the rudder is positioned and which direction it's pointed, it can either lead you to a destination that you would enjoy, right, the Bahamas, or it can lead to a shipwreck. It's not, has, it doesn't have anything to do with the ship or the waters or the wind. It's the rudder. And likewise, James is saying your mouth has that same potential. How you use your words, life or death, can actually lead to a blessing or it can lead to a curse. It can lead to places that lead others to a great destination in their life. You can shape people's lives with your words or you can destroy people's lives with your words. And then finally, a wildfire. Little spark, but look at the devastation that it does. It consumes, it burns, it destroys everything in its path. Have you ever been around people that have done that? It's ugly. Have you ever been that person to someone else though? We're all guilty. We've all, you've, I know we've all done it because everybody's hands were raised earlier, right? We've all admitted in church before God that we're guilty of this. We've, we've lost control, right? The bit flew out. The rudder lost control. And we've taken ourselves and we've taken other people to places that we wouldn't want them to go. We wouldn't want to be. All because we couldn't bridle our tongue. James says this is so important because it has the power to determine where you go in your life. Look, look, another verse, verse 6, this is what James says. And the tongue is a fire, a world of unrighteousness. The tongue is set among our members, staining the whole body, and get this, setting on fire the entire course of life. You ever have a good day, things are going well, and then someone comes into your day and says the wrong thing, and then the day's not going well? Or you've done that with someone else? Things are going great, but one person saying one word can ruin the entire day. One spark can leave destruction everywhere you go. And, it, and again, it might have been something that someone said a decade ago. But like that wildfire, Aiden, if you could put that picture back up, like that wildfire, people tell you, the wildfire picture, Aiden, um, this would take decades for that ground to recover. Interesting, when you look at a wildfire and the damage that it does, it can destroy vegetation, and that vegetation in that land does not produce again for years and years and years. And words have that same potential to do damage in your life where decades later you're still repeating the same phrases that someone else said to you. My hope through this message is that not only can you forgive them, but you can provide, or God can bring healing in your life through that as well. But that's how destructive words can be. They're either going to lead you to a desirable place or a destructive place. You're going to either use them for truth or you're going to tell lies. You're either going to spread truth or you're going to spread slander and gossip. You're either going to use them to build up, to edify the believer, or you're going to use it to tear down and bring poison to people's life. And guess what? You get to choose that. You get to choose it. And based on how well you choose will determine which direction your life goes. That's the first thing I think James wants us to see. The second thing is this. Number two. Number two, our words reveal what's in our heart. Our words reveal what's actually in our heart. So this is what James says. James says this in verse 9. With it, the tongue or our words, we bless our Lord and Father, and with it we curse people who are made in the likeness of God. From the same mouth come blessing and cursing, my brothers. These things ought not to be so. Does a spring... Pour forth, forth from the same opening both fresh water and salt water? And you would say, no. Can a fig tree, my brothers, bear olives in a grapevine, produce figs? And you would say, no. Can, neither can a salt pond yield fresh water. 
James is like, he's giving you the most obvious examples. That's an apple tree. Oranges don't come from that, right? If that's the ocean, don't drink it. It's going to be really salty. It's impossible for you to turn on your faucet and out comes salt water because it doesn't produce both. It's either fresh water or salt water. You can't have both. It's, it's, it's impossible. And so too it should be impossible for us who are born-again Christians who know the name of Jesus Christ, who have changed us from the inside out, to praise God one minute and sing songs to him on Sunday and then on Monday go about gossiping around the water cooler or talking bad about other people or talk trash-talking and throwing other people under the bus. Why? Because they're made in the image and likeness of God. That's what James says. How can we possibly do that? And yet all things are possible because we've done it. I'll be the first to confess that I have... Use my, I can use my words to change people's lives. People have said to me, Pastor, what you shared, and it's not what I share, it's what's the, what the Bible's doing in people's heart, but what you shared helped me break free from addiction. Wow, I've actually had people say that. It's amazing. Praise God for that. And then I've also been guilty of spewing words where out of anger I say something that I, I didn't really mean, but you know what I probably did because it was on the inside of me and it came out. And I'm guilty of that. That's why we need Jesus. That's why we need Jesus. If what you hear in this message is, okay, here's, some, here's like five practical things that you can do to, you know, say better things in your marriage or your parenting, and here's some other steps you can take, one step, two step, three step, you'll probably have missed the point of this because at the end of the day, you're still going to fail. And the reason why you're going to fail is because you're human, and as James says, no human can tame the tongue. It is a restless evil. So even when you think you got a grasp on it, guess what? The devil's going to beat you because he's not resting. It's going to happen. You need something greater in you in order to overcome the power of the tongue and use it for good. And you know who that is? The solution is not more principles. The solution is Jesus in you. More and more of Jesus in you. More of you committed to him. And the reason why is we all have a speech problem. We all have a speech problem. Whether you like to admit it or not, we have failed more than, probably more than any other category in your life. I've had about six days to wrestle with this passage, and it stinks. Take some inventory of your life. Probably in, more than any other category in your life, you fail more often than not in this. It's how we use our tongue. It's how we use our tongue. And the reason why, I would say this, the reason why our heart or our mouths are so such a mess is because our hearts are such a mess. The reason why we struggle with this is because we still have some work to do in here. By the way, this is a, a biblical principle. This is exactly what Jesus said in Matthew chapter 12. Listen to the words of Jesus, if you don't believe James or me. He says, For out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks. The good person out of his good treasure brings forth good, and the evil person out of the evil treasure brings forth evil. I tell you, this is Jesus telling you, on the day of judgment, people will give account for every careless word they speak. That's heavy, isn't it? And you know, without Jesus covering your sin, that's not going to be a good day for you, and you know it. Because you've said some stupid stuff. You said some really, really stupid stuff, and so have I. And the reason why we said it, Jesus says, that's what was in our heart. And that's who we are. Out of the overflow of the heart, of who you really are. In the Hebrew um, world, your heart is who you are. 
Your heart is who you are. So who you are eventually comes out through your words. People will know you by what you say. People will get a glimpse into your heart, and your heart will actually tattletale on what your heart actually is like. So I would say this. Our words are merely symptoms of a deeper problem. So if you've ever met someone who just loves to brag about themselves, me, myself, and I, and what I've done, and what I've accomplished, and what I earn, and blah, blah, blah. You ever get into a conversation where it's like, okay, just take a break. It's not all about you. You know what's the problem? The problem is not that they love themselves and all this stuff. The problem is pride. All the other stuff is symptoms. The problem of their heart is pride. If you've ever met someone who loves, you know, to talk inappropriately and use sexual innuendos and all that stuff, those are the, those, that's the symptoms. The, the problem is they have lust in their heart. That's the problem. If you've ever met someone who's just hateful for, uh, against other people, people who are made in the image and likeness of God, people of other colors or, you know, race, and, and they express racist comments, those are symptoms. The problem is they have hatred in their heart. And they do not believe that everybody is made in the image and likeness of God. If, if you see a person who's always angry and bitter and resentful, it's like those are symptoms. What's deeper down is a problem of the heart of discontentment. And if you were to say, well, let's get them fixed. Let's get me fixed. Let's get them fixed. Fix my spouse. Fix my kids. The problem is you can't. Those are symptoms. The solution to fixing our mouth problem, our tongue problem, our language problem, and how we use our words is not treating the symptoms, it's treating the heart. There's only one person that can do that. And I'll give you a hint. It's not you. And it's not your spouse. As hard as you try, you can't do it. There's only one, and his name is Jesus. That, by the way, I was studying this week, and there was something, a really interesting passage I've often used in presenting the gospel. It's Romans chapter 10, verse 9 and 10. And I want you to see the connection. This is about Jesus, but I want you to see the connection between your mouth and your heart. These are the words of Paul. He says, if you confess with your, help me out, with your, come on, the other campuses weren't paying attention. They weren't listening. They weren't participating. So you gotta, you got to lead the way, Greece, okay? If you confess with your mouth, come on, campuses, that Jesus is Lord and believe in your Heart, there's the connection, that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved, right? For with the heart, one believes and is justified, and with the mouth, one confesses and is saved. So there is a correlation, there's a connection between my mouth and my heart, but my mouth won't do what I want it to do unless my heart has first been dealt with. In other words, God will never have my mouth if I don't share his heart. If my heart has not been changed by God, my mouth will not do the things that God calls me to do. You literally, literally need a new heart to get a grasp on this. So, you know, there's a message here for people who perhaps are not Christ's followers yet. I think you just need heart surgery. We're going to talk about that. There's also a message in here that have had heart surgery, that you have a new heart, that you are a believer, you are redeemed, you are justified, you are saved. You have confessed with your mouth. There's still some tune-ups. There's this thing called sanctification where Jesus continues to work in you. And if you want to know if Jesus is continuing to work in you, your mouth is a good indicator of that. Just look over, how, over the years how God has been using your mouth and how you've been using your words 
And that will give an indication whether or not you're really leaning into this relationship with Jesus. But here's what Jesus first and foremost says, you need a new heart. It's straight out of the book of Ezekiel. Ezekiel is a prophet in the Old Testament. He says this in Ezekiel 26 or 36. He says, I, and I will give you a new heart and a new spirit I will put within you. And I will remove the heart of stone from your flesh and give you a heart of flesh. Stay there, Aiden. Go back. It is clear sometimes when you have conversations with people in the community, rather than focusing on their mouth, how about, how about you do this? What, what they say, you can determine whether they have a heart of flesh or a heart of stone. Isn't that true? Like you can just, just keep talking, keep talking, and it's clear within that conversation, man, this guy needs Jesus or this woman needs Jesus. They, they have a heart of stone. There is no getting through it to them unless Jesus changes their heart. And that's the promise. The, the promise, next verse, it says this. And I will put my spirit within you and cause you to walk in my statutes and be careful to obey my rules. You can't do the things that Christ is calling us to do or walk in his statutes without the heart of God. But when God has your heart, here's what I guarantee. You'll at least think twice. If God has your heart, he will have your mouth. If God has your heart, he will have your mouth. So here's a challenge I want to encourage all of our, our church to consider. When you, if, if you're a Christian, if you've, if you've um, heard the gospel, responded to the gospel, you love Jesus, you sing worship songs, you want to use your lips to glorify God, and you understand the price that has been paid to literally preserve this word of God for you so that you could have it today. There's a price. A lot of blood has been shed for you throughout the years, throughout generations, for the word of God to be preserved for you. If you consider how great God has been and how generous he's been to you, why wouldn't we also use our words to be generous towards others? So let me put it like this. God has been so radically generous with his word Imagine if we were radically generous with ours. Imagine if we are a church, and I get not everybody has unlimited resources, uh, unlimited money. You might not even have unlimited time, but here's what every single one of us in this room have in common. We all have unlimited words until the day we die or until God takes away our words or our breath. That is something that we are called the steward well. And if God has been so generous to us to give us his word, how can we not as Christians look for ways to be radically generous with how we have our word spoken to other people? When we have an opportunity to strengthen, let's strengthen. When we have the opportunity to encourage, let's encourage. When we have the opportunity to forgive, let's forgive. When we have the opportunity to love and to speak life into other people, Use it and watch, especially if they don't go to church, they don't know Jesus, they will lighten up because they, that's something they don't experience in this world. You know what they experience in this world? Death, destruction, cursing, cussing, words that do not bring encouragement or strength. That is the norm in our culture. Imagine if we were a church, imagine we were five campuses, right, going into our community and unleashing a radical generosity with our words. You think this place would look different? And my guess is your life would look different as well because God would use that in incredible ways. The one application I have for um, uh, spouses, married couples, maybe parents too, 
Um, as I was reading this and feeling like a dirt bag, uh, I, I really grabbed down to this phrase, no human can tame the tongue. And I think God spoke to me. He said, there's some grace in here. If no human being can tame the tongue, there's, we have to, as husband and wives and parents, we have to make room for some grace. Don't, do we not? You're not going to get this right. You're just not going to get this right. Husbands, I want to talk to the wives, but husbands, we've said so many stupid things. Amen? We need our spouse's forgiveness. And it goes both ways. If, you, if we cannot learn to forgive, we, you just won't be able to do this. And so here's three words for you. If you're married or your family, you can, you can learn from this. It's three words. I am sorry. Here's another one. Will you forgive me? That's four. And how about three more? I love you. And then forgive and use your words as an opportunity to speak life into your family. Here's a great starting point. Find what's good, find what's right, find what's pleasing, what's pure, what's awesome, and speak life into that. Because again, there's power in your tongue. Death and life are in the power of the tongue, and it's your choice. I want to invite our worship teams to come forward as we close in prayer. And we have an opportunity to use our lips to worship, to sing. And so let's prepare our hearts for that. God, I am so thankful, really, really thankful, Lord, that Jesus and only Jesus has the power to change a human heart. But when he does, he gets a hold of our mouth. I'm thankful that even though I'm not where I want to be, I'm not where I once was. I'm sure my brothers and sisters in Christ can testify to this, that when they met you, their mouth was used in horrible ways. I cussed and swore all the time and put people down. Pride spewed out of my mouth. But those are just words, Lord. It pointed to a deeper problem of my heart. And I'm so grateful that you changed my heart and you changed our hearts. And if we have any hope, any chance of maturing and growing in our walk with you when it comes to our words, we, we literally need more of Jesus. We need more of you in our heart, more of you in our life to take over. And so we ask that as we sing, may it be a reflection of our hearts to surrender to you. We love you. And it's in Jesus' name we ask this. Amen.